Hello, welcome to Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co-host is Toria. How are you, Toria? Good, thank you for having me again. So basically the gist of this show is that we talk about films that I love based on whatever the topic of the episode is. And in the first half of the show, I talk to my guest about whatever the topic is. So today's topic is a favorite drama film, and the film I chose is Ever After. Uh, but first, Toria is going to tell us her favorite drama films. So the, the movies that immediately came to my mind were mostly like period films. So the first one I thought of in terms of my favorite drama films are uh, the first one I thought of is Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 adaptation mm-hmm. with Kara Knightley as Lizzie Bennett and right alongside that I thought of Sense and Sensibility the 1995 adaptation with Kate Winslet and uh, Emma Thompson they're both you know Jane Austen novels adapted in film and there's romance and definitely some lighter moments but Sense and Sensibility in particular, I think of as more drama. Pride and Prejudice, I think, has more, like, comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, those are definitely two of my favorites. And I think go pretty well with Ever After, being set in, you know, a time long ago. Not as long ago mm-hmm. as Ever After. But a, a time gone by where there's romance and definitely but there's also other undercurrents and actually a lot of this realize also have to do with money and you know the way that money marriage went together inextricably in times past and what marriage meant it wasn't all just you know there's there are marriages in in Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility that left to be marriages of love and affection and companionship, but that's kind of like a fantasy in this yeah. mm-hmm. time. Kind of like a, a wish fulfillment. Yeah, because a lot of people just had to marry, you know, to secure money and a house and a comfortable life and even just like survival. So, um, there's always like that tension between needing, especially for women who like couldn't work or people who didn't have a lot of money in their family, the tension between wanting to be like happy and free and wanting love and also needing security and needing to do what you have to do to survive. And then there's also just like a lot of really good dialogue, a lot of really witty and funny moments as well and in in Pride and Prejudice and in Sense of Sensibility I just also love the music in those films and the cinematography in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice I think is really really beautiful and Mm -hmm. the the actors are all really great have you seen either Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility um not officially because uh I mean, like, because I, I saw parts of them, uh, you know, growing up, obviously, because you would watch them all the time. But I never actually, like, 
sat down and like watched them from start to finish. Yeah. So. Sense and Sensibility also had like several people who would go on to be in the Harry Potter films. I mean, yeah. huge their own right, but it's also just funny because you've got Emma Thompson who was Trelawney and Alan Rickman who was Snape, and even I think the woman who the actress who plays the mother in Sense and Sensibility was Madame Pomfrey in the Harry Potter movie. Oh, really? I think there's even, I think the fat lady from the Harry Potter movies is in Sense and Sensibility. There's a, but, and I think maybe even like Cornelius Fudge. So there's like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's kind of fun too, to look back on. But yeah, beautiful music, beautiful costumes, beautiful um, set and photography, fantastic acting, and some really beautiful romance stories, but also some sadness. Um, struggle um, between the head and the heart in sense and sensibility mm-hmm. um, and then this is kind of similar but the 2009 Little Women adaptation by Greta Gerwig um, I really love and I think it feels even more dramatic in some ways than the 90s adaptation um I don't know if you have you seen Little Women. Yeah, I have. Well, it's it's funny you should bring it up because I just recently uh, watched both of them the the '90s version and the recent version back to back because Bethany wanted me to watch them. And um, yeah, I mean, like Little Women's never really been my thing, but like I was able to kind of appreciate them for what they were. Um. And again, like the the '90s Little Women one, I I'd always like I never officially saw, but I would see like parts of it just because you guys used to watch it a lot. So it was nice to kind of finally sit down and finally watch it from start to finish. So yeah, yeah, I love the '90s one. It definitely has like a warm and fuzzy place in my heart. I think the 2019 version does some really interesting things with like the framing of the narrative and. Also, the non-linear um, telling the story just, like, really makes, I think it heightens the drama and kind of bends mm-hmm. the feeling. So this is a big spoiler, but as I'll just give that warning. Spoiler, skip it, don't hear it. But the way that they show that death in the newer adaptation of the women I think is even more heart-wrenching and dramatic because it's juxtaposed with Attack when she got sick and got better. And mm-hmm. it's di- directly kind of compared then with the time when she got sick and didn't get better. And it's just gut-wrenching. Yeah. I, um, and yeah, so her death is... And, and also, alongside the tragedy of her death, there's just the, the little mini-tragedies, I think, that they're showing in terms of for women in particular at that time of, you know, a little bit of Marmy's character kind of talking about her anger and rage and temper that you know, can't really express because she has to hold everything together. And mm-hmm. there's more poking fun at the way the dad is kind of, you know, she's like rolling her eyes down. Um, Emma Watts' Meg, you know, is kind of a bit more beleaguered. And, yeah. uh, and then the, like, again, kind of the fancy ending of, like, Joe marrying the professor, it's really presented as more of a fantasy 
in the 2019 version and kind of you get the feeling that yeah it's like fantasy but the narrative the framing of the narrative is more joe you know trying to sell this book and she has to put that happy ending in there so yeah just kind of a little bit more shading i think Mm -hmm. so also related um (laughs) And I think similar in some ways, but more contemporary is Lady Bird, the mm-hmm. 27 by Greta Gerwig, which also features or stars Saoirse Ronan, who's in the 2019 Little Women. And it's definitely like a like a drama comedy. Mm-hmm. I think things that I love are it's not common to just like love and rewatch something that's like really devastating. You mm-hmm. know, I tend to like really go towards things that are kind of a little bit lighter or have like a happier comforting ending and things like that that's just how I am because I get so deeply affected by movies and just like will go viral you know I will spiral down when Mm -hmm. I see films that are just truly uh tragic um but yeah, Lady Bird, I thought was a really beautiful, like, more contemporary portrayal of just a young woman coming of age and also, um, you know, a teenage girl who has kind of a difficult relationship with her mother and watching them kind of struggle. Like, they love each other, they just struggle to really, like, understand each other and connect with each other. And there's just, like, such a beautiful scene of, towards the end, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, of, um, you know, the parents, like, dropping the uh, Saoirse Road character off at the airport to go to college. And mom, I think, like, doesn't really say goodbye. And then as she's leaving, she's like, crap. And she wants to get back to, like, really, really say goodbye to her. But she left. Mm-hmm. And just moments like that. I just thought were so beautifully done in terms of this mother-daughter relationship and really trying to uh, make the audience sympathize with both and really kind of see, like, where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think it's really, really beautiful. Yeah, um, I watched that one, like, one time, like, uh, like, like, two or three years ago. I really enjoyed it. Um... And, of course, uh, I thought Saoirse Ronan was really good in it. It wasn't really, like... Like, to me, like, the story wasn't really anything new. Like, the whole, like, coming-of-age teenage drama thing has been done, like, a million times before. But, I don't know, like, just, like, the way that it was written, acted, and stuff, I thought was still pretty good. And um, I think it was more sort of about the characters rather than the story itself, if that makes any sense. Maybe I'm... Just sounding stupid right now, but oh, not at all. Yeah, it's like it's very much about the characters and kind of their development and their relationships. And there's a beautiful scene. I don't know if you remember this. I've actually, I think I've only seen it once myself, maybe twice. Um, but there's a beautiful scene where Saoirse Ronan's character of Lady Bird. I think she's like it might be her college essay, but one of the nuns at her high school is reading something that she's written. And I, I think she says something about how she, oh, like you really love the town where you come from in California. And it's like, no, like I want to get out of here. I like, I don't love it. And she's like, 
basically what Nana is saying, like you have paid such close attention to it and the way that you've described it in your writing. And the nun is like, isn't it the same thing, love and paying attention? And I all, that always stuck with me. I think it's really beautiful. And I think it's kind of like you see it throughout the film. The filmmaker is like paying attention and the thing, like the little details that are drawn out and kind of like that, how like such a complex, like where they come from or their family or even like religion, like their little bit of, you know, ladybird isn't like a devout Catholic any means, but then when she's homesick and she's away, she does that one day. And it's just really interesting. It's like all these things that she's running away from her mom, her tech mom, um, church, like there's all the part of her that has some, is still somewhat drawn to those things. Yeah. Um, did you, did you have another film? ones i did also think of one other that i don't think it's like a proper drama mm-hmm. but i put black panther on my list actually oh interesting i mean it is an action obviously superhero film but i was looking at a list of like kind of trying to think through yeah like okay what are my favorite dramas and so i was looking at a list of like in the best dramas of recent years and Black Panther on one of them and I was like you know what I do I loved that movie I mm-hmm. thought it was good mm-hmm. and the thing I always think about is actually like the most emotional part of the story like more than action scenes or you know I I think thought about like the emotional heart of that story so I'm gonna throw that one in there yeah no that's a good uh, unique one. I'm actually surprised that, that showed up on a list of like drama. Yeah, films. I would too. But I don't know. Like, it, it did make sense to me. There's definitely some. If that, that, yeah, Black Panther. Like, I mean, a lot of the super or all of the super movies. I feel like drop very old stories, like myths, a lot of like very classic kind of like hero's journey, Shakespearean. You know, like they feel very like archetypal um but i definitely that with black panther yeah like this is kind of like a shake this you know there's something shakespearean about it you know Mm-hmm. yeah definitely uh cool so you ready to get into it yeah let's get into it cool uh so today we're talking about ever after so ever after is a romantic drama film released on july 31st 1998 uh, it was directed by Andy Tennant. It was based on the folktale Cinderella. The screenplay was written by Susanna Grant, Andy Tennant, and Rick Parks. It stars Drew Barrymore, Angelica Houston, DeGray Scott, Megan Dodds, and G. Moreau. Uh, the film is about a young woman named Danielle, played by Drew Barrymore, the daughter of a rich man who is forced to work as a servant after the death of her father, leaves her in the care of her jealous stepmother, the Baroness Rodmilla de Ghent, played by Angelica Houston. One day, she sees a man trying to steal one of the manor's horses and tries to stop him by throwing apples at him. The man turns out to be Prince Henry, played by DeGray Scott, who is trying to run away from his kingdom to escape an arranged marriage. Uh, Danielle apologizes, and the prince gives her 20 gold coins for her silence. 
She sees the coins as an opportunity to buy back her family servant, whom her stepmother had sold off to slavery, and disguises herself as a noblewoman. Um, not recognizing her, Prince Henry helps her when he sees her arguing with the slave cart driver. Prince Henry is impressed with her non-conventional personality, and they soon begin a romance. Meanwhile, the Baroness pl uh, plans to marry off her daughter, Marguerite, played by Megan Dodds, to the prince. Um, so, I guess um, I should start off saying, so, like, I was, I was introduced to this film when you guys rented it years ago, and... Um, my my interest in it uh, peaked again when years later I uh, became a Rocky Horror fan and I found out that Richard O'Brien uh, was one of the villains in it and I had I'd already been kind of like seen I had already watched that movie for years at that point so then when I later found out that Richard O'Brien was in it it like blew my mind because I was like oh yeah that was him that's so crazy um but uh i am curious though like how did you guys find out about it to begin with like i was trying to remember that and i couldn't remember i know it came out in 98 i was seven in 98 i remember watching it more it was like eight or nine so i'm assuming it was one of those like we were walking through blockbuster and looking at all the covers of the movies and it's such an iconic cover. Yeah, it is, yeah. And it really does look like a Renaissance painting or something. And, mm -hmm. I mean, I just loved fairy tales so much. This was right up my alley. So I'm sure I saw Ever After and I saw the cover. Just like, we need to watch this. Maybe Amanda heard about it from friends or something too. But... Mm -hmm. All I know is that I watched it many, many times, and it's so funny. I was remembering, I had forgotten this, but I was remembering, like, oh, yeah, when I was in my early teens, my AOL Instant Messenger name was Ever After. Oh, yeah, so. that's right. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. My email. Yeah. And also, when I was 15... For my English class, we had to write a minimum 50-page novel. And I was like, oh, boy, my novel was, like, heavily influenced by Ever After. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heavily influenced. Um, so, yes, I don't remember exactly how we watched it the first time, but I know that once we did, it was, yeah, it had a big impact. I loved it. I watched it a lot. And it was right up my like fairy tale loving alley. Yeah, and when I when I watched it again years later, when I was older and I had uh, became a fan of Richard O'Brien, I um, it, it it was one of those again. It was like one of those movies where like I was so young when I first saw it that I didn't really like have any thought about it. But then when like when I watched it again, I was like, yeah, this is actually a really good movie. And when I was watching it again last night, like, I was just thinking to myself, like, you know, like, the 90s was, I, in my opinion, I think was, like, the best era of, like, films that did, like, period pieces like this. Because another film that kind of, like, reminds me of this is, like, the uh, the Midsummer Night's Dream film with, um, you know, Michelle. Michelle Pfeiffer and Stanley Tucci and 
stuff like that. But yeah, like all those films like have this like really like 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 there's just something like really like special about them. And like I don't know, just the way that they were made was just really cool. I don't know. Yeah, and I also think I agree. I love a Midsummer Night's Dream from around that time. I also think there was something interesting about the take on girl and women characters in the 90s that I was like, oh, he's a little bit, when I was watching it the other day, I was like, oh, he's a little bit radical. Like, she's a communist. <laughs> a communist? Well, she, no, but she she's reading Thomas More's Utopia, and... Mm-hmm. That was kind of like a foundational text that people compared to like Marxism or as a foundational text influenced like socialist. Oh, okay. Of, you know, she, she was, it was just, it's just interesting that they went there with this movie. Like, I don't, I don't know that, that that would happen now. Um, and I was also thinking about how much, I feel like this movie kind of influenced the adaptation of Ella Enchanted that came out in the early 2000s, mm-hmm. but like a different tone it is. Like the early 2000s, Ella I felt, I feel like is this very wreck, like kind of super like colorful, wet, kind of wetty, glittery. There's song and dance and music, and it's like just very you know, kind of kitschy in a way. Yeah. And I I thought, I loved that movie growing up. I thought it was really fun. But such a different tone from Ever After. There are elements that I feel like really influenced, I think, anyway, Ella Enchanted, like, the way that when Prince Henry is doing his tennis match and the the ladies of the court are all, like, kind of glittering over him and, like, it's a little silly and they're like stuffing their handkerchiefs into his shirt and that just gets like in Ella Enchanted Prince Char is like a full celebrity and they're just like he's like a beetle you know mm-hmm. and throwing themselves at him I thought that was kind of a funny like just the different tone of like a 90s kind of Cinderella story take versus like an early 2000s yeah it's it's funny because they are very they're kind of similar, but I, I know because I did research on it that, like, the the book that Ella Enchanted was based on was actually more kind of serious and kind of more like this film, yes. actually. Yes, I mean, I it had more that. fantasy elements in it, but it had a more serious tone, and yes. they went, like, a completely different direction with the yeah. film. I loved Ella Enchanted when I was a kid. The book, I mean, I, I loved that book, and it's, a, it's definitely darker and like very different from the movie and yeah i was thinking it's a lot closer to ever after yeah maybe that was one of the reasons why they didn't make it like the book because they had already done it kind of with this movie um but yeah i don't know i mean like i guess like being like a guy like i never really like cared that much about cinderella or any of like the movie adaptations but this one always like stuck with me and, like, this one really, like, I actually think it's, like, it's just a really good movie. And I love the writing. And it may be a controversial opinion, but I think it's the only, like, really, like, good adaptation of, like, Cinderella. 
I don't know. Cause just cause I just think it's just a really smart film. Whereas like the other ones are just kind of like generic fairy tales, but I don't know. Um, I don't know what, like what's, what's your take on it? I mean, I think Drew Barrymore is really charming. Like I think she, yeah. she pulls off this character that can get kind of cartoonish and a little bit annoying in other, like in some, like when, when the character is like, you know, she's a spunky girl who mm-hmm. can throw an apple and hit her target. And sometimes that can just get very kind of caricature-ish. But yeah. she just so well. Like, you fully believe that she is tough and, you know, she's independent and she's super capable. And, and she's just very, she's warm, you know, she's kind. She cares about her family which is actually like the, the other servants on the farm um she, she longs for family or to please her stepmother when she's in the beginning i don't know she feels more well-rounded she doesn't feel like a caricature that's just like oh we gotta make this funky girl you know <laughs> she just yeah. feels rounded and i think drew barrymore is a, is a big piece of the puzzle and i also think you know, they do a good job of drawing out this theme of, like, freedom or lack of freedom because pretty much everyone in the movie is grappling with feeling trapped in some way from the servants who could be literally sold into slavery to, you know, even the stepmother, like, when her husband dies, is, like, screaming, don't leave me here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you cannot leave me here. Like, she's trapped in this free house. And, um, and even, like, you know, the prince doesn't want to be a prince. He doesn't want to be the king. And then even the the king and queen are trapped in unhappy marriage. Like, yeah. they keep comments about how they, they, you know, they don't, they can't get divorced. So, like, every character is kind of grappling in some way with feeling trapped and I think they just they do a good job of rounding out um different characters on that theme yeah no like because as I was watching it last night like I was thinking to myself like Drew Barrymore like is really good in this movie and it's kind of sad because she's kind of become kind of like people like make fun of her a lot now but like I don't know like she was like really good in this and um yeah, and, like, again, like, the movie's, like, full of, like, cliches and stuff, but it doesn't, like, I feel like it doesn't really, like, hurt it at all, really. Like, like there were times where I was watching it where I was like, oh, that's so cliche, or oh, that's so cliche, but, like, again, it wasn't, it was just kind of, like, whatever, like, it still, it doesn't really, like, hurt the film at all, really. Yeah, yeah. I think she's, I think she is really charming, and I think even, like, the prince, you know, um... I liked hearing some of his kind of philosophical questions that he has about love and like, I don't know, they make it, like when he's he's talking to Leonardo da Vinci, which is like, it's a totally ridiculous thing that Leonardo da Vinci is like, you know, just randomly a character, but he's, he's also super charming and funny and so adorable that character Mm -hmm. and when the prince is just kind of like 
asking him these philosophical questions about soulmates and about the meaning of life. And even when he's talking, there's something he, that I didn't really catch when I watched it when I was younger. I haven't watched this movie in so long. I can't even remember the last time. But when I watch it, the prince says something to Danielle. He's like, I think if I cared about anything, I would have to care about everything and I would go stark raving mad. Mm-hmm. But like you've helped me figure out my purpose, and now I feel this freedom. And the purpose that he figured out is like he wants to open a university, and it's just like such an interesting kind of growing up lesson for him about you know she really teaches him about kind of owning his responsibility, mm-hmm. and also the idea that like you can't do everything. Um, but you can do something. And I just feel like that's a real growing up lesson for him. And I liked that a lot. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely something that I picked up on this time around was how one of the themes of the film is definitely, like, growing up. I mean, the the narrator at the very beginning says, like, oh, he was, uh, like, he wasn't really a man yet. He was still very much a boy or whatever. And the thing that I kind of, like, realized about it this time around was that like, like they both kind of grow up in a way, both the Prince and Danielle, like the Prince matures and learns to think of other people besides himself. And Danielle learns to defy her stepmother and is no longer reliant on her being like a mother figure to her because like Prince Henry, like he fills that void that she's had for, years and once he comes into her life she no longer needs the baroness anymore which i think is just kind of interesting and she i love that like basically the turning point is really when she goes to visit the library with him and then they you know the carriage tips over and so they have to walk and they get attacked by the gypsies and she rescues him and then the mm-hmm. gypsy like, this is hilarious, come party with us, and they party with the gypsies, and they get drunk, they kiss, and she just has this freedom, and she said, like, that was the best night of my life, and I think she gets that taste of freedom, and that's when she's just, like, the next morning, she's basically, like, screw you, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not gonna do your chores, and I think, yeah, she kind of has to, like, grieve and let go of the mother that she's just never going to have. But, yeah, I, I also was, like, realizing more so this time around watching it. Oh, yeah, she goes from, in the beginning, saying to her stepmother, like, sometimes I sit down and I really try to think of how to please you. And she follows that all the way through to, like, punching her stepmother in the face. calling. Yeah. Uh, can we just say, one of the best lines of any movie is I would rather die a thousand deaths than see my mother's dress on that spoiled selfish cow. Yes. Yes. I love, I love that part. (laughs) It's such a cathartic moment. Yes. You know, and she even, you know, so she like, she rescues the prince and she rescues herself. Once she's like trapped in slavery with Richard O'Brien, you know, the prince will come rescue her, but she's already rescued herself. And she's smiling when she leaves, even before she sees the prince. So it's kind of like she found her freedom, even if 
he had never come back to her. He would have found her freedom from her stepmother, from, you know, that literal slavery. And, like, she can take care of herself. So it's kind of the icing on the cake that then she, you know, also has love and becomes, you know, princess of France or whatever. Yeah, and that ending is definitely kind of, like, ahead of its time to go that direction where like she's not rescued by the prince at the end. Yeah. Um, but I'm also kind of a little disappointed by it too, because I would have loved to have seen like Richard O'Brien having a showdown with Prince Henry at the end, like sword fighting or something. But, but yeah, it's still, it's still a great ending though. Um, but yeah, like kind of going back to like the, like her relationship with the Baroness thing. Like I, like as I was watching it this time around, like I was thinking like to myself, like why does her time with Henry make her uh, stand up to the Baroness and her stepsister? But then I kind of like, kind of figured it out later that it's like, go oh, because he's the thing that she needed and she no longer, no longer needs them anymore. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think, like, just getting that taste of freedom and of someone who loves her and appreciates her, like the other servants do. She has their friendship, but, yeah, she was really longing for, like, her father and the mother she didn't have, and, yeah, he becomes her new family. Yeah. And also, it makes sense that she rescues him and she rescues herself and not the other way around because it seems that he's been really sheltered and she hasn't yeah had really well a she was raised you know by her father who seemingly didn't really like you know raise her in a special way because she was a girl he just raised her as like a kid who got to run around and play and all of that and rough house and then she had to work really, really hard. So it makes sense that she would, you know, be super capable. And the prince would be a little bit more like, okay, he's had some, like, sword fighting lessons, but he probably hasn't actually gotten, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas she has. I mean, but, like, the theme to, like, growing up, like it's like, it's interesting because, like, for the most part, like, she's pretty grown up. Like... She she's pretty like independent and stuff and like so like you wouldn't really think that she would need like much growing up to do but it's really it really like for her it comes down to the Baroness yeah so and it's I think the Baroness is like a fascinating character because mm -hmm. you know from the very beginning it's like okay did she love the father or did she just need money and mm -hmm. he had but I think she did love him, actually. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting angle to take because it's easy to just make her 100% a cold-hearted, cruel person, which yeah. she is cold-hearted and she does very cruel things. But in the very beginning, when, you know, her husband, like, has the heart attack, and he's dying and she is extremely distressed and she runs after him and then you know like he turns to danielle and says i love you like he looks at her he looks at the stepmother 
And then he turns his head to Danielle and he says, I love you to her. And that mother looks at Danielle like she's jealous, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's those like really interesting, there's that really interesting scene where Danielle was like combing her hair, combing the stepmother's hair. And the stepmother is like saying, you know, my mother was hard on me and I know it must have been kind of hard for you. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I know it must have been hard for you to grow up without a mother. Like, I see so much of your father in you. It's like he's looking out at me. And I think Danielle asks, like, if you love him. And she's like, I hardly knew him. You know, just go away now. Mm -hmm. Like, she has tears in her eyes. And I think maybe she did really love him. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that part, like, always, like, kind of confuses me, too. Because I'm like, like, why is she, like, being kind of nice to her yeah. at that one part? Is it because is it just because she's, like, in a really good mood? Because she thinks, like, oh, we've got the prince now. We're going to marry into royalty. So she's just right. kind of, like, being nice for the sake of it. Right. I don't know. I know it is a little bit odd. But it seems like, you know, maybe she would have had moments like that like and she undercuts everything she says that could be genuine or maybe even start to be almost nice she like instantly undercuts with an insult yeah know? yeah um, like she's like oh you remember your father oh probably because you're so masculine looking yeah yeah <laughs> um but it, that's also just like watching danielle just look at her with this like hope you know and this like oh, is she gonna like be a mother to me now you know mm-hmm. yeah I think, like you said, I think that is her growing up journey is letting go of the mother that she will never get, you know, yeah. either from mother who died or from stepmother. Yeah. But it's interesting to hear that the stepmother had a difficult relationship with her own mother. Like, it's yeah. just an detail to throw in there where she's like she made me wash my face 20 times a day it was never clean enough it's like oh, yeah that's abusive that sounds abusive yeah you well know? yeah it's like you know the cycle of abuse just yeah like these disney villains don't just come out of nowhere you know yeah you know um and another thing that i found very interesting watching it this time around was how like that I didn't catch that I didn't catch the other times that I saw it, but the fact that um, like the Baroness isn't really that rich, like right. she's constantly like putting the manor in debt, and um, but like she won't like own up to it. But she's like she's kind of like a wannabe like like a wannabe royal person, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. So and doesn't want to admit that she's not as rich as she would like to be. Yeah, she has a title. She's the Baroness. Yeah. But she actually have money. Kind of similar to, like, the Jane Austen stories that I mentioned before, which is, like, you know, in Prejudice, the Bennett family, they have land, but they don't actually have money, and but they need to marry their daughters off to someone with, to people with money, which is also what the Baroness in Ever After is trying to do. She's trying, well, she's literally trying to marry her daughter to the prince, but because she doesn't have money. And I think all this stuff about class in Jane, it's huge in Jane Austen, but there's so much about class in Ever After. It's really interesting, yeah. like, um, the way that Danielle 
is seeing people as human beings who deserve to have human rights. And she is reading, you know, Utopia about, uh, I don't know too much about it, but I think it's, you know, this fantasy place where people are equal and treated equally. And, you know, in this, in Ever After, we just there are slaves and servants and um, courtiers and uh, royalty and, um, and like I said, in their own way, they're all a little bit trapped by the system. Obviously, the people who are slaves and serve are way worse off. Um, and like when the Baroness is, it's so infuriating how she's selling their stuff to Richard O'Brien's character. Mm-hmm. And then docking the certain wages like accusing them, you know, just offensively saying, oh, you must have stolen it. I'm docking your weed. Meanwhile, she's racking up debt on things like trinkets to dress up Marguerite so that she can woo the prince. Yeah. Selling Maurice, selling a person into slavery. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just like, oh, it's so gross. Um, So yeah, all the undercurrents of the, the stuff about class and equality and humanity is kind of interesting and much more on the note like i said like i think the 90s was a time where people were like i don't know even women in music like you had like alanis morissette and like women who would be like a little angry you know about like about things and their music and things like that or they'd like you know maybe they were like i don't know naked in their music videos but less in a like not like in a sexy way, more like a, like, a way. yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that, I don't know, just the stuff, like, and and maybe in like a political way. And yeah. I, there was something about the 90s where people were like maybe a little bit more overtly political, even in a, like a family fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, the thing that I kind of like about this film is that like like obviously like there's a um there's like a feminist like subtext to it but I feel like this movie kind of does it the right way whereas like I feel like a lot of films now are just kind of like hit you over the head with like oh females can do anything but like this movie does like it does it well enough where it's not like you know like it's not like I don't know how to explain it (laughs) you know yeah, I think it's like, I don't know, to me, it's just when it starts to feel like it's a caricature as opposed to some to someone a little bit more well-rounded when it's like, eh, you know, not as compelling to me um, when it just seems like, oh, we need to like have this type of character because that's what's in now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's how it usually Yeah, goes. Well, I guess because also there's like, like you said, there's like a lot of other stuff going on besides feminism in the story yeah and yeah and there is like it's interesting too because it makes there's more and more similarities with Ella Enchanted the more that I think about it where like in Ella Enchanted I think they also kind of tried to like talk about there's like different races of people Mm -hmm. and they kind of try to be like talking about equality and stuff but I don't know doesn't quite land the same way in Ever After there's even like you know the scene where the gypsies come upon them in the woods and like they could kill prince henry and 
they are really kind of like impressed and like amused by Danielle and mm-hmm. they're just you know the guy starts laughing and he's like we'll give you a horse and then they're partying with them and the prince yeah. and prince Henry them to the, the mask and that is also like another example and she I think Danielle is even saying to prince Henry like a gypsy is more than just like what you think yeah. And I don't even know if that term is okay anymore. I'm not sure. Yeah. There might be some. Oh, I'm not sure if people are supposed to use the term gypsy. That's what they use in the movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they kind of talk about. I don't know. Like, I feel like the film tries to kind of humanize um, people who would otherwise just be like, oh, they're just a band of people in the woods who try to, like, kill them. And that's yeah. it. In this movie, it's like. They're going to party with them, and they, like, mm-hmm. have humor, and they, like, when they kiss for the first time, and the gypsies are all like, ooh. Yeah. Like, um, and I feel like, you know, even, like, all the, the other servants in the movie that she's, like, the guy that she's friends with, and, like, the two women, and Maurice, like, you know, her friend, like, is a painter, and Maurice, and I think the other old woman is his wife, right? And they're, like, so cute together. Yeah. I don't know, like, they kind of give them a little bit more humanity as well. Yeah. Well, can I also say that, like, in these movies, there's always the platonic male best friend who's, like, (laughs) the brother, kind of, you know? I just find it funny. Yeah. Yeah. And the little kid who plays him, who, who plays him as a little kid... Like, looks exactly like the guy yeah. I'm older. Yeah, he does. That's what's so... I was like, where did they get the time machine? Yeah. <laughs> they are the same person. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just, like, love the... Like, it has... Like, there's just, like, so many, like, great quotes in this movie. And there were parts of it where I literally, like, just, like, burst out laughing. Like, like the oh, part... Yeah. Like, the part where, um, the prince, uh says to the king he's like what's it to be father hot oil or the racks and the king goes i will simply deny you the crown and live forever Forever. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think they're oh my gosh amanda and i used to laugh so hard at the part where danielle is like floating in the water and da vinci is trying to try out his like you know water walking shoes Mm mm-hmm he like looms over her and he's like, looks like rain. <laughs> yeah. That, that was so funny. When Da Vinci um, gets the door off its hinges and they're like, you're a genius. And he's like, I shall go down in history. It's the man who opened the door. <laughs> yeah. I love that part. No, but I, re- I remember like you guys uh, rewinding the tape over and over again just to watch that part of when the of when Leonardo da Vinci says it looks like rain she screams we thought it was so yeah and also I like the line when when he does when da Vinci does like rescue her and he's trying to encourage her to go to the ball and she's like a bird may love a fish but where would they live and he says then I shall make you wings yeah I also remember that line for some reason yeah. Another thing that I thought was really funny this time around was when after she gets um like after the it looks like rain scene and she's like talking to the prince and then she sees I guess oh yeah, her uh step sister is calling her 
And so she, like, she has to, like, hurry and get away. But then Leonardo da Vinci turns to her and he goes, but the wind, it's perfect. Because he has the, the kite and he's getting ready yeah. to fly it. <laughs> he's adorable. Yeah. He's he reminds adorable. me a lot of the Sultan from Aladdin. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. See that. Yeah. Another line, as long as we're talking about lines, that we like, I just love at the end when the prince comes and he apologizes and then he says, he's like, I can't remember exactly, but he's like, I'm sorry, Danielle, or whatever. And she says, say it again. And he says, I'm sorry again. She says, no, the part said my name. Um, that always stuck. I always thought that was the whole uh, beautiful. The fact that just hearing him say her real name is mm-hmm. uh, it's just like some moving. Well, I love that part. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was uh, was interesting this time around was um, after he gets hit in the head with the apples if you look closely and like the scenes that follow afterwards he still has the mark on his <laughs> head which i never noticed before but when i was watching it this time around i was really paying attention i I noticed it on his head there are some really great details like when she goes to she wants to tell like they meet up at that the ruins and she wants to tell him the truth but he's like not really listening to her and he kisses her and he touches her back and she like screams because she had been like lashed there Mm -hmm. remember that part the the are you talking about the part where she's she's planning on telling him her true identity? Yeah, it's the day after they like they partied it up, and then she got whipped, and um, so her back is all like cut up, and yeah, she meets him to tell him, but he's just like ah, oh. he's all like excited and in love, and he's not, and yeah, he like kisses her and he touches her back, and she like cries out, and I always thought that that like it's such a sad detail um that you know he has no idea why she's crying out in pain yeah i didn't yeah i actually didn't notice that this time around i always just that that always stuck with me too i just thought that was like a really striking detail yeah one of the things though that always like really that just like it angers me so much when i watch it is like right after when he finds out about Danielle and he's such a dick yeah at that part like it almost seems a little out of character for well I guess not completely out of character but it's just like he's like becomes like really like cruel at that part Uh, I feel like it's you know he definitely has this very immature part of him that Mm -hmm. he's like got that like rebellious side and he's constantly like running away because he doesn't want to deal with things and I think that immature part really comes out. Like, that kind of spoiled brat part comes yeah. out. Who, you know, he is a prince. But my read on it is that it's not so much about the fact that she is a commoner. It's about the fact that he lied to him. And he felt like she was only, like, genuine person around. Because he was always kind of, like... She, he always, I think, was like, wow, like she's so, like honest like she will tell him exactly what she thinks and what she thinks about him and he really trusts her and then I think in that moment 
he's really horrified by the that she lied to him and doesn't feel like he can trust her. But it is it is so, oh it's a heartbreaking moment. Yeah. And I always I think also like the moment when the stepmother like literally rips her wing off. I thought was such a great symbol again with that theme of freedom and being trapped. Like this great visual metaphor for what the stepmother did to her song is like ripping off her wing. And there's that moment earlier when the prince is like, is there anything you can't do? Because she, she you know, she's just doing, taking care of all the stuff. And she's like, I, I why? Oh, and yeah. See the stepmother like rip off her wing. And it's like, I don't know, just a great symbol. Yeah. I, I always kind of thought too that her planet that part was a little uh like what's the word like like extremely risky because like she knows that the the baroness is there she could just walk up to her at any moment and like i mean which she does so which is why i always thought in a way it was almost kind of like a bad idea doing it yeah. <laughs> then but uh yeah i don't know but Do it's also a hail Passed on her part, like last ditch attempt, because the the stepmother knows everything. She's literally locking her up. He's whipped her. Like she just, I think it's kind of her last ditch. Like I just got to go and try to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's just like the worst, uh, the the Baroness. But like, um, but yeah, it's great to see her just like. I guess, like, get her comeuppance in the end, and that, I guess that, she, like, gets, like, really cruel to her, too, at that part, where she's, like, it's, like, you'll probably think of me for the rest of your life, but I'll never think of you ever again. It's, like, ooh. That line really struck me, because it's the only time that Danielle says something that I'm, like, hmm, is that true, though? Like, yeah, like, re- like never, ever, never. like, like, that's not even healthy for you, Danielle. You need a therapy. You need to process this in therapy, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. really traumatized. You can't just shove it down. <laughs> so, I think it's just, like, a very kind of, what's the word? Like, just, it's just like a, like, oh, you slayed her, you know? Like, yeah. What's the, what's the, what's worse than anything is like, oh, you matter so little to me that I'll never think of you again. It's just like, but unfortunately, I I can't imagine that that's really true. But it is a fantasy, so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also just want to talk a little bit about, like, the locations Mm. in this film, too, because, like, when I was watching this time around, like, there were just certain shots where I was just like, oh, gosh, that's so amazing. Beautiful. Like, so amazing to look at. And I wonder if, like, like I'm, those must have been... I mean, obviously, there was, were probably, like, real locations from that time yeah, period. I think they used, like, real castles, you know, for, like, exterior shots and things like that. It's really beautiful. The costumes are really beautiful. The sets are really beautiful. I mean, like, like her mother's dress, her whole look in that mask scene, it's very brief, but, like... So beautiful. 
Yeah. That must have been a really fun movie to make. Yeah. Like, getting to go on, like, getting to be in those locations and stuff like that. And I feel like it's the type of thing, I mean, I'm not in any way, shape, or form an actress, but I would imagine that between the locations and costumes that, like, oh, it would... I, I know that there's also tons of equipment and stuff like that, but I can imagine it would help to transport you into that character to get to be in those places and wear those costumes. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely helps. It also is just very... It, it's interesting because with Da Vinci being an important character and his sketch of her being like an important piece of the film um there's this this also this undercurrent of just like a very artistic kind of or there's there's like a theme of art and like the the friend being a painter and everything so it's just it makes sense that it would also just look so like luscious and beautiful and look like a painting yeah yeah all that stuff in the film is really impressive yeah it was so nice to get to watch it again because i really haven't watched it in a long time there were certain that have stuck with me for the past you know whatever it is now 23 years or something like that (laughs) since it first came out yeah um yeah it was nice to reflect on like i had forgotten how impact it made on the story um but it was right there in my LOL instant messenger screen name. So. Yeah. <laughs> we had to do it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I was so happy when you told me you were doing this one and asked me to do it with you because it's such a beloved movie for me from my childhood. Yeah. And to a certain extent, mine as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, Richard O'Brien. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think it's a really great movie, and um, I actually think it it deserves more recognition than it probably gets, because, yeah, I don't know, it's just really good, and it's really well done. Yeah, I think it's a very sweet and also, you know, a little bit different and a little bit inspiring take on a fairy tale. Yeah. Thank you for asking me to... To rewatch it and do the episode with you. Yeah, no problem. So, um, this has been Cinemaniac Jack. I'm your host, Jack. Today's guest co host was Toria. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, see you next time.